Welcome to Inkwell, a podcast from Houston, Texas, for anyone engaged in the world of reading and writing. Inkwell is brought to you by Imprint, a nationally renowned literary arts nonprofit which, since 1983, supports writers and conducts readings featuring the world's leading authors for adults and children, workshops for people of all ages and backgrounds, and other programs to promote creative writing and reading. And Tintero Projects, which showcases the work of national and international Latinx and Latin American writers through readings and workshops. Inkwell hosts Jasmine and Lupe Mendez, writers, educators, activists, and founders of Tintero Projects, will interview emerging and established writers from across the nation and around the world with energy, wit, and fresh perspective on what it means to ink well in this day and age. <laughs> Hi, everybody, and welcome to another amazing episode of Inkwell. Uh, I am one of your co-hosts, Lupe Mendez. And I'm Jasmine Mendez, and I'm back. And she's back. We missed her. And uh, shout out to Isis. Yes, thank you, Isis, for taking on the first podcast of the season. And so we're going to be interviewing uh, a dear friend and an amazing uh, writer. Um, writer, can you say hello? Hello, listener. <laughs> that was a very sexy hello. It is, it is a sexy hello. And um, so, how was how was the trip? Yeah, so I missed the first recording of our um, first episode for the season because I was in the DR, Dominican Republic. I was visiting family and doing a little bit of research on some potential forthcoming projects. And it feels good to be back home, which is also weird to say because... In some ways, the DR sometimes feels like home because that's where my parents are. But the island definitely hasn't ever officially been home, right? It's like it's where my parents are from and where they live now, but not really where I can say that I'm from. So does it feel like going back home or? I think this trip was unique in the sense that it finally felt like, like, yes, my parents condo was home because that's where the people that I love are. But I finally, I think, came to be at peace with like the DR never really being my home. And like, it's okay. Where I used to always feel conflicted about like, oh, I'm not from here and I'm not from there. You know, that whole like immigrant narrative. And now I'm like, nope, I'm not from there. And that's okay. But my parents live there and I like the beach. So I love the beach. That's, like, you know, I just feel like good. sometimes we don't give ourselves permission to say those things. Like, we have to feel like, no, but I'm Dominican or no, I'm this because oh, right. that's where my family's yeah. from. And I'm like, no, I'm Dominican-American, mostly American, but I have roots in the DR. And that's that's okay, too. That makes sense. And I also know, like, because I'm so Americanized, like, a lot of the culture in the DR just, I'm just not, like, really comfortable there, you know, with some of the, the ways in which people interact like socially or like in businesses and things like that. And that's just their culture, which is not like wrong. It's just not what I'm used to. Right. And it's not something that I think I could like adapt to. So, and it's nice to be back home with you in, our, in our house, in our real home. Aww. What about you? What'd you do while I was gone? Um, hmm. I slept in the bed sideways <laughs> and sprawled out on the bed and uh-huh. uh, turned on all the fans. And made the AC really cold. Living that best bachelor life. Living that iceberg life. <laughs> and um, I ate soup out of a can. I think you just sound like a, <laughs> like I left you abandonado or something. No, it was fine. I did laundry. I uh, sat in the backyard and had a beer. That's good. Uh, what else did I do? Read that. And uh, 
Did I you miss, work on anything? I, I, I applied for some things. Mm. Knock on wood. Yeah. And, uh, finished the manuscript. Well, that was already finished. Did some interviews, prepped and planned for what's going to be the next project pieces for being poet laureate. And, uh, got to hang out with my aunts who came in from Hakel for a month. Nice. And then made arrangements. And so I will actually be, uh, we'll be traveling in June, surprise, to go visit family in Mexico. And how are you feeling about that, going back home, per se? I, I pine for it. Like, I, there are moments where, because I've spent enough time in the mountains that, like, that part of me, I miss. Like, I miss that level of, like, both Pueblo and, like, not country life, but, like, we live in a village and it's, like, remote and isolated and so i feel like i am disconnected in ways just always being in the hustle and bustle yeah it's nice to slow down and so that for me is like a a nice way to slow down and catch up with family who i you know the family gets bigger every time and so yeah i met family that i didn't even know i had this time in the dr a half brother didn't know because you know my grandfather was Still doing what he does at a very much older age. So I have a a, ha- a half uncle, not a half brother. My dad's half brother. Apologies so for that. So a half uncle who is my age. He's <laughs> 37 because, <laughs> you know. Things. Grandpas do what they do. And so, but yeah, that's, uh, so that's pretty much, that's us in a nutshell. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and it's, it's good to be home. And our writer that we have here today talks a lot about home. Hence the title of their debut poetry collection, Stepmotherland. And uh, after our little break, I'll be introducing our poet for today. Stay tuned. And we're back. Yes. We are pleased to welcome in our Inkwell studio this afternoon, Darel Alejandro Holness, who is an Afro-Panamanian American writer. He is a playwright and poet. Holness is the author of Migrant Psalms and the forthcoming, I'm sorry, the recently released Stepmotherland by out of Notre Dame Press. He is a recipient of the Andres Mantoya Poetry Prize from Letras Latinas, the Drinking Cord Poetry Prize, and a National Endowment for the Arts Literature Fellowship in Creative Writing. His poems have previously appeared in numerous journals and anthologies. And he teaches creative writing and playwriting as a faculty member at the Gallatin School of Individualized Study at NYU. Please welcome Darel. Hello, everyone. <laughs> I love how. Did I say you that said, wrong? <laughs> I love how when you said Gallatin, it sounded like Galleta, <laughs> because I would love to work at the Galleta. I apologize. You know, no, no, don't. I'm, not, <laughs> I'm like, I thought that's two L's. Not my name. I thought two L's. No, <laughs> I, don't apologize. I'm just like, I should bring cookies to the next time I teach my class there. Yes. Um, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here and to share with you and with all of the listeners today some poems from my new book, Stepmotherland, which won the Andres Montoya Poetry Prize. And is 
Marvelous. A month old? Yeah. A month and a half old? Oh, almost two months old. Aww. Yeah. yeah. Two months old. It definitely is not the same as having a child, but... It's still amazing. I'm counting the days. <laughs> you are. There you go. has been in the so, world <laughs> like valid. my friends that's who it. our parents do. There you so, go. Done. I'll take it. It reminds me of that. So whenever you would like to share whatever pieces you have, all yours. Would you like me to share a poem from <laughs> the book? You? Yeah. Can you share some <laughs> sure, from the book? Absolutely. Uh, this poem is called Praise Song for My Mutilated World and is dedicated to my grandfather. Ode to the Japanese radio, oozing hot tunes in the hot afternoon of my childhood at age four in La Ciudad de Panama, at my abuelo's house. Ode to the black women made of air and imagination who Pito and I dance with in his living room in La Rosita, the rosy part of Riabajo known for turning bullets into blooms. Ode to La Olua Braz, the early 90s Brazilian siren in Kaoma, who seduces us into dancing with our dream girls and away from the bullet-bitten bodies plastered across the front page of La Critica News. Ode to the famous mulatto melody howling from the bellows of the accordion on the record and to the Portuguese words I pronounce in near Spanish as I try to sing along to the forbidden dance song. There isn't much forbidden in my family, except piedra and yerba and the tiroteo from their trade. There isn't much forbidden in my family except pistolas y secuestros and chanchudos y corruptos who've become piedra's slaves. Pito and I save the negras in our arms from piedreros, drug dealers, and the cartel with our moreno swing hips, dips, and spins to the two-beat carimbo drum rhythm stronger than the pulse thumping through my little boy body until I can't tell the difference between my corazón and the radio stong-tong until our dream girls become our real women until we praise-danced our world back to being one that little brown black boys like me can believe in. Oof. Thank you. Snaps for the poet. Yes. I felt, felt all that. The music, (laughs) the language, the images. So that kind of actually leads into a question. How does the, and in that piece, the, the, like, you being bilingual, like, how does that see itself or inform your writing? There Are there moments where, like, you're just writing it in English and then algo llega en español and you just plop it down? Or are you working it differently? Is like, how does that appear for you in your writing? Well, you know, every Panamanian household is different. But in my household, we were always multilingual because my grandfather, who that poem is dedicated to, his family was from the French Caribbean, so from Martinique and Guadeloupe. And so when I would spend time with my grandparents, I was spending time with a Panamanian of Martinican and Guadalupean descent and spending time with a Costa Rican, who is my grandmother. And uh, I also attended 
schools that were under the jurisdiction of the U.S. military because the U.S. military was in Panama. And that meant that I was constantly just surrounded by not just Spanish and not just English and Spanish, but English, Spanish, Patois, French, African-American vernacular that I would encounter at school and every form of Spanglish that you can think of. And that is the language I speak today. I think as I got older and became more fluent in any one of those languages, it seems like a neat trick because mm. you're like, oh, I'm code switching now, <laughs> right? Right, yeah. right? But in reality, I, I grew up speaking this, this pigeon of multiple different languages depending on who I was talking to and what context they had. So there is words that my grandfather used to say that I've looked up and they're very hard to find because they're actually... Creole slang mm. that is as old as he was. Yeah. Wow. That he would use that he might have heard his parents use, right? And, but it's not actually, quote, in quotes, French. Right. 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 And it might have been lingo that was common in Martinique and Guadeloupe that might not have been the same in, ha- in Haiti. Right. So, I've always been fascinated by language and I've thought of it as a key, as a key to unlocking avenues of communication with different people yeah. and also as a key to unlocking the greater meaning behind ideas where language can fall short of an idea depending on what that idea is. So I have found words in Japanese that actually better encapsulate an emotion mm. that I am feeling than any word that exists in English. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you also do that too with with music. Like I think I feel like music, not only lyrics, but certain musical sounds also are part of the language that you speak and that like show up in, in the poems in this book in particular. And I, did, I didn't get a chance to, but I kind of wanted to count the number of times you use the phrase tonton. <laughs> like I was like, this keeps recurring and this keeps happening. It's like this drum beat, right? Yeah. Also that, that, that continues and is also part of the language, right? Mm-hmm. That, that we speak and especially as, as you and know, I as black people, as, as of the diaspora, as, as all of the things, right? And so I was just interested in like your process of, of how music also influences like your writing and your, your artistry. Absolutely. I started writing poetry. Because I wanted to be a songwriter. Mm. And I would really listen to the what the words would bring to the song and think of the voice as a musical instrument and the the words as the notes that the voice was hit, hit uh, that the voice was hitting, mm-hmm. not just the actual notes. So it's not just about the, the tone, but it's how you're shaping that tone with your mouth around a particular sound. Mm. And that is how most songwriters write. I shouldn't say most, who knows. But that's how many songwriters write their songs, is they try to find the right sounds Mm -hmm. to match the rhythm of the song. And then they'll find the words that can bring that sound to the song in a way that also communicates a message Mm -hmm. or tells a story. And when I teach spoken word, 
that's one of the actually one of the exercises that we do relies on this principle because the students will find a beat in their body. We will make a beat, a body beat, so to speak, in as a class. And we will start to add sounds that are not words to that body beat, right? Mm-hmm. To the rhythm of the class. And then we'll record it with our smartphones. And then folks will be able to take that rhythm and the song of sounds that we've made as a class and then try to find language to match those sounds. I need you to teach me this this workshop <laughs> prompt. <laughs> I love that. Wink, wink. I feel like that also speaks a lot to your performative background as well because you're also identified as a playwright among many other things. And so that was another one of my questions is how do, how do they inform each other? Your playwriting inform your poetry writing and sort of vice versa. Or if, that, if, they're, if you feel like they're two different camps and you kind of craft poems in different ways than you do your plays, yeah. for example? I think that's a really valid question. I will say that I don't really make work out of the frame of mind that ever compartmentalizes an idea into a particular form. Rather, I try to find, and in a way I try to invent a form that fits the idea that I have. And oftentimes I'll find that my invention borrows from various traditions, and then I'll try to honor those traditions by bringing my work closer to those traditions in form. But I really make from a place that starts with the idea first, and then we find the form as we develop the idea. So it is really fun to make work through this process in literature. I find that in in the world of commercial theater, it always becomes a question of like, well, how can we sell this? Yeah, yeah. Oh, true. And so, and we have to sell it, we have to sell a thing that people know what it is when they're buying it. And so then it's like... <laughs> Exhaustion. <laughs> Heavy sigh. Heavy sigh. <laughs> which is why I'm, which is why I'm moving, I'm, I'm really trying to think about how my process can lead to finding more appropriate identifiers Mm -hmm. because since I don't really think in this, I'm working in this form and I'm like standing firmly in the singular tradition, I only need to operate, I can only operate in this like singular way. It's like, does a, does a title like playwright even fit? fit? Mm -hmm. I get it. Yeah. And I do think the, title poet always fits because I think poetry is just language. <laughs> yeah. And it's also, it's, there's something robust mm-hmm. and also ancient yes. about poetry. So even though there's something ancient about the theater, this idea of a playwright yeah. is not as ancient no. as this idea as of a Correct. Yeah, yeah. That makes well, sense. So much of, of like traditional or like older plays, right. Are in verse are in that poetry mm-hmm. form. Right. Yeah. So yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so going to switch gears. Is that cool? (laughs) We switch gears. So one of the questions I had, um, we talked about like musicality and, and the things that, that, that you're writing with within the book itself, which is phenomenal. One of the things that struck me as I read, uh, one of the pieces was in reference to the film, 
Angelitos Negros. But then there was a reference to something that shook me in like ways that like all of this is so layered. There's a reference to Eartha Kitt singing the song that Mm -hmm. I had never even run across. I grew up with the Roberta Flack version Hmm. of the song because my mom had an LP Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. of Roberta Flack's and it was on the album. Mm -hmm. I didn't see the film until I was like already living in Houston in my, I think a little bit before even we met. And I hadn't, when I read the piece, I was like, wait, wait, what? Like, so I, all these things like in using and seeing and, and being around music, how, how does that like the lyric and then the history of a song, like how does that inform like the work that you're doing? Like how yes. did you come across it? Is it a habit? Do you go in search? Like, was it something you already live with? Like, how does that? Yeah. Function? Well, so that song is all is actually inspired by a poem, right? Right. By Andres Iloy Blanco called Angelitos Negros, yeah. And it was kind of fashioned into a song, yeah. by Pedro Infante and his people, right? Uh, and then placed in this movie. And I have always known who Pedro Infante is because he's such an icon, yeah. Right. And was in conversation with Rigoberto Gonzalez, who is. Also an icon. <laughs> yes. <right>? Correct. <laughs> We've had him on the show before. Yes. yes. <laughs> and he mentioned this film and I hadn't seen it. So I I saw the movie and I listened to the song and the song in the context of the film is very heartfelt. But I, I just wanted to hear other versions. And so right. I kept looking. And then I found several sung by black women in right. particular, which was interesting. Correct. And I re- was really drawn to the Eartha Kit version. And so I placed myself in the poem listening to the Eartha Kit version via a YouTube clip, which is how I encountered it. Yeah. And what was fascinating too about that clip is that it had a photo of the vinyl that it was from. And so it was a moment when I was like looking at this cultural product that represented a cover of a song about Black Latinidad sung by a white Mexican, originally sung by a white Mexican actor and based on a poem written by a white Latina man, I think might have been Mexican, I don't remember. And here I was, this like black Panamanian American man listening to this African American woman interpret this other, you know, and all of the layers layers, of that. um, And then like, what does it mean to engage with the song through all of this technology that's representing another form of technology, which would have been the vinyl, Right. right, and the record player, that references another form of technology, which is the film. And so I really was cherishing this moment and the questions that it brought to mind and wanted to bring everything that I was cherishing about that to life in the poem. And so that's why that's layered in there because I found my experience of the song through these layers to be so stimulating that I thought it rendered as such 
it could be just as stimulating to a reader as yeah. well. Yeah. It hit every like I read it and I was like, oh, what? Are the kid I'm gonna have to look this what? Yeah. <laughs> when it, yeah. No, I was gonna say, I mean, I think I think it speaks to the the various types of art forms that that are included in in your book. Obviously, here you, you mentioned the film and then this record. Um, we've talked a little about music in general, but there's also several ekphrastic poems based off of art, like visual art and imagery. And I just love to hear, yeah, how how all of these things are kind of working together to tell or to create this experience for the reader in your book, Stepmotherland, which I'd love for you to just kind of share, right, in general a little bit more, what what all the book encompasses. Yeah, so the book is divided into four sections, Foreigner, Immigrant, Citizen, Patriot. And each section references a different moment that is essential to my coming of age. And the sections came together quite naturally. I'm so grateful for that process because I look at earlier versions of the book and I was doing too much. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yes, it was just like, yes. you know, no, I, I wanted it. it to be this, I wanted it to yeah. be that. And, and when ulti- you strip that away, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. And ultimately, I just want people to feel something, yeah. to share in some of the feelings that I had. Yeah. 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 I definitely felt that, especially the progression of the sections of sort of that opening. And we're, we're really seeing like Panama and right. And like this, this, that, you know, you for lack of a, but you know, the speaker of the poem sort of being very, um, like in this world, but out of it, right. In this community, but out of it, always kind of being othered, right. And then to that final, Patriot, which you you think is like, oh, patriot of a country, but that's not really what it's about. It's about being at home in your own body and being at home in in your own full, whole self, you know? And I just thought that was just like a beautiful progression. And and we also get these different layers of, of like, of religion and like seeing it and like understanding it, but also being a part of it, away from it. And we see that through some of the imagery in, in like frastic pieces, a couple of them that are there. Yeah, just so many different different layers, right, to, to this identity and to this coming of age, as, as you said, till we get to that final, like, this is who I am, and, and I'm proud to be who I am, and I'm no longer feeling less than or not enough of this thing or the other thing. Or So I just, I love that. I love the way the sections are broken up. And yeah, that it was, like I told Lupe, I sat and read it straight through and didn't put it down, you know, and I don't feel like that's, I feel like sometimes people think that that's like an insult, but like, it's not, <laughs> you know, I feel like there's some writers who are like, oh, but I spent 10 years writing that and you read it in 90 minutes. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. That, <laughs> like, yeah. Especially, that up. I think that's also for like a poetry book, right? Because sometimes we expect or want or think that poetry books have to be like super heady and these like layered metaphors and weird line breaks that you have to read the line 17 times to mm-hmm, <laughs> understand mm-hmm. what's happening. Totally. And I didn't have to do that. And I loved that. I absolutely yeah. love that, that that was my experience. I loved that. You wrote in such a way that I, I got like vis- visual, sonic and visual yeah. guideposts as I read the whole book. Like mm-hmm. the same. I didn't put it down either. It was, it, it felt comfortable to read. And you, you took us to so many different spaces. Yeah. Physical. Yeah. Physical and spaces, places yeah. that I'm familiar with and places that I wasn't. And. All of it just was this. I know there was a little Taco Milagro was there. Mm-hmm. I was Which, like, oh, throwback. But like, <laughs> like the fact that you added spaces <laughs> that we're familiar with where we were doing the similar things mm-hmm. felt also a callback to something. But then also there were these other spaces where some of those things were also occurring and it was both 
nuanced and new and an echo and like all of this put together in such beautiful fashion. So like that leads me to my other question is like how much of Houston like sat with you when you were writing mm-hmm. the book itself, like all these different spaces, like yeah, did you have to think back Houston. to something or did it, it, all of it just kind of flow out? You know, I really write in nostalgia. So mm. I wrote a few poems. No, really all of the, almost all of the poems about Panama were written while I was in Houston. Mm. Almost all of the poems about Houston were written while I was in Michigan. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So there are no poems about Michigan in the book. However, I really came into my own as a poet in Michigan. And so I think a lot of pre-writing work was, a lot of pre-writing work for this book was the writing of my master's thesis while I was in Michigan. Hmm. And it included a lot of poems set in Michigan about Michigan, whatever, while I was there. And so I think even though Michigan isn't one of the lands that plays a huge role in this narrative, it still is a really important part of my journey. Mm. And then there's New York, which is where everything can go right and everything can go wrong <laughs> and oftentimes on the same night. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so it's an interesting city to have as a part of your coming of age because it will regularly challenge everything that you know and you think you know about yourself. And so when you're still cooking, so to speak, it's a fascinating place to be. I think that it can be very destabilizing, but it will also teach you more about who you are than any other place in the world. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's good stuff. And kind of thinking about places, I, I can't leave this our conversation without sort of thinking about and talking about the ways in which blackness plays a role in in these spaces and in these places and obviously, you know, in, in your life. And yeah, I mean, I just, blackness. <laughs> That's my question. Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> I was just in the Dominican Republic. I know. We just missed each other. We did. <laughs> we we just did. just missed each other. Yeah. 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 And I was there working on a new project with the designer of, or I should say with the cover artist mm. of the book, Patricia Encarnacion, who's Dominican, mm. Afro-Dominican artist. And as a part of that, we were talking about the differences between my experience of blackness in Panama and her experience of blackness in the, not just in the DR, but in Dominican culture. Yeah. And thinking on a macro level about what it means to be black or be seen as black and understood as black anywhere in the Abiyayala, in the <laughs> yeah. Americas, right? Yeah. Right. And even when I'm not writing about blackness, per se, it's still there. Yeah, yeah. Because blackness has everything to do with why my grandfather's family came from the French Caribbean to labor on the first attempt at the Panama Canal Mm. that was built by the French. Sort of like wasn't successfully built by the French, right? And it has everything to do with why my father's West Indian ancestors came from Jamaica and 
other parts of the British Caribbean to labor the Panama Canal. And so it is, blackness is the reason why there were so many different languages in my house, mm. right? Blackness is the reason why English was even preserved. Like not the English that you and I are necessarily speaking right now, but a West Indian English right. was even preserved in my family and in my community. And so it's always present, even when it's not the primary topic. And I love to celebrate that because when people ask me if, be, if blackness itself is kind of limiting, I always say that it's ever expanding hmm. and it is dynamic and ebbs and flows and appears and is present in ways that you can't even always identify. Yeah. And in that way, I also carry my ancestors with me with every poem in this book. And I think even the poems that are about me or about my personal experience, they still are oftentimes of value to me because of the ways that it puts me on this it puts me on, I was going to say like um, on a family tree, right, of these kinds of experiences. Yeah. So I love being black. Yeah. Thank you. And with that, when we come back, we'll share another poem by our poet and we'll do a lightning round of questions. Yeah. Which are the hard questions. Ooh, I'm ready. I'm ready. So we're back and we're going to let that gracious with some more of his words. This poem is entitled Tu. In the music video, it looks like Shakira is dying. I want to die for you, although we've just met. Give you my bones to help you stand taller and my feet for you to walk on when yours are worn. This is what she sings. Love worth dying for. Seven years ago, I loved her video. And now hear its song wailing in my head as I struggle to hear what you're saying. A good omen at Cafe Adobe, the setting of our first date. Make love to me on this table for two. I don't need my flesh if I have you. So devour my body as you need, breaking into the garden, past the wall that keeps our home countries, my Panama, your Rwanda, out on the other side. Your sins washed in my old blood and complexion, sing out. Listen to the unusual yodel in my throat, a ballad as I nail my limbs to this restaurant table. Eres tu amor, mis ganas de reír, el adiós que no sabré decir, porque nunca podré vivir sin ti. But for this feast to nourish your body, we must first pray. 
or at least say we believe in something. I don't believe in this nation, but can in your naked grace. Come, make me a man of faith. Leave your body too, if you'd like. In my country, I dreamed of leaving my body all the time. The scar below my right eye is flesh broken by soldiers, trying to scare my mother into telling them my father's whereabouts. My sun-kissed undertone, torn open reveals an ancestor's sinless shame, mejorando la raza. But I don't want to be whiter, just free. Sweetly delivered into your dark matter and its boundlessness. Reborn into love, risen in translation. Um, ooh. I'll read this poem. OTM. I love that one. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> OTM or other than Mexican. Other than que pedo, we queso pa. Other than ta bueno, we ofi. Other than cosa, we vaina. Other than vato, we pelao. Other than amiguin, we friend. Other than coyote, we ride la bestia. Other than mande, we que cosa. Other than no mames, we chucha. Other than culero, we hijo puta. Other than cálmate, wey, we tranquilo, pana. Other than me vales madre, we me vales verga. Other than peda, we party. Other than chela, we pinta. Other than crudo, we fuck up. Other than el arte de engañar, we juega vivo. Other than pinta, we sopre. Other than llevarse al demonio, we cabrea. Other than huir, we chifiar. Other than chava, she gyal. Other than bonita, she pretty. Other than firmeina, she pie. Other than casita, we chanti. Other than pachanga, we rumba. Other than panzana, we preña. Other than padre, we viejo. Other than nene, we chichi. Other than niños, they children. Other than fresh off the boat, they gringos. Other than hablar, they speak. Other than vivir, they be. Other than nosotros, they me. I love that piece. Ugh. I also feel like any, no offense, Lupe, non-Mexican who spent time in Texas, non-Mexican, like not any Latino, Latine that is not Mexican that has spent time in Texas has to have this like conversation battle <laughs> slash reckoning with folks I think that's an about space. the language. But I just feel, you know, like, we're such a, there's so few of us compared to, right, that like the population of Mexicans right, in Texas, right. right? And so, you know, I'm constantly having this battle of like, it's not frijoles, it's habichuelas. Just this weekend, <laughs> we went to the kite festival and the whole time we're telling Luz, he's telling her, what, papalote? How do you say? I don't, I don't know how to say that word. We call it a chichigua. Uh -huh. At school, they call it a cometa. We know it as a papalote. Papalote. Uh -huh. And so it's like, it's, it's one word. Yeah, it's a kite. It's a kite. <laughs> but there's like, you know, 10 different ways to say it. And uh -huh. we're always sort of having this conversation yeah. about language. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. And I think it's interesting the way it plays out with identity. Because mm. when I was a student at the University of Houston, the way that, I should say, my experience of the pre predominantly 
Latine spaces, which back then would people just say Hispanic. Yeah. It meant Mexican. Mexican, yeah. Right. And if you were not up to speed on the lingo, it meant that you were not Hispanic. Mm -hmm. You were not Latine. Mm -hmm. No one cared (laughs) about the fact that there's an entire continent. (laughs) And islands and other things that that is not Mexico (laughs) (laughs) that makes up what we refer to as Latin America and the Caribbean. Right, right. Zero anything given. given. Yes. I think at all. I think it's I and so I mean I will say like it was very challenging. Yeah. But it was also fun because Mm -hmm. I'm curious and I love to learn. And so I happily learned some of the lingo and the language. Because it gave me access to yeah. people I wanted to get to know, spaces I wanted to be a part of. Yeah. And I wasn't going to let their, I guess... Arrogance. Is that yeah, s- ignorance. Or, or, <laughs> or just ignorance, like yeah. Their, their lack of familiarity yeah. with the kinds of places that I'm from prevent me from getting to know them. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And so for me it was it was give and take. Yeah. I those who were interested, I also shared my Panamanian culture with them. And you know, we're still the best of friends to today. See, you have a good heart. I just got very spiteful <laughs> and angry and was like, Y'all don't like me, well whatever. Yeah. So like similarly <laughs> coming into Houston <laughs> from a very because that's all I ever heard being in this space. And then running into all these different, like, other aspects of Latinidad, I, I was like, wait, well, how do y'all say that? Well, how do you say? And I, I engaged in that, uh, the other half of the conversation. Yeah, you're, you're like a curious person who's interested in opening yourself up, not where like some people are just like, no, you're not one of us because yeah. you don't, you know, speak our language. And, and it was also fascinating for me to sometimes go to Mexico with, Mexican Americans that (laughs) in Houston would present and really sort of like feel more Mm -hmm. Hispanic than me. Mm -hmm. And in Mexico, where they couldn't speak Spanish, (laughs) would rely on On my black behind to actually have help them connect with the culture that they're, you know, with the flag that they're constantly waving around when they're in Houston. (laughs) And so like that dynamic, especially when you're like, 19 or 20 Mm -hmm. and everybody's like egos through the roof and like they're trying to figure out who they are whatever it was very interesting environment to be in and i also love mexico like a lot (laughs) so every time i'm there i have a great time i make friends instantly and you know people are so real and fun i don't know it's it's a good time though. Yeah. Yeah, and I've been to different parts of Mexico too. And I fell in love with Mexico living in Texas, hanging out with Mexican Americans <laughs> and then going across the border with them. Yeah. So it's just been this whole thing. Yeah. And I so this it. this poem is is takes its term from immigration because mm. they need language to refer to uh, the non-majority uh, oh, Latine folk correct. who are coming into the country, especially from Central America, right? Right. So this is especially thinking about the Central American migrant crisis of the last few of the last maybe two decades or yeah. so. Right. And so that's where this term comes from. Just like from what I understand, the term Hispanic 
comes from a time when Puerto Ricans and Dominicans are coming into New York City Mm -hmm. and the government needs a way to refer to this group of people who are not only Mexican. Right. Right. So it's always this language that comes from being different from the majority of the Latine community in the United States in these places that are dominated by Mexican-American culture and presence. And so... And so... I don't really think of it as oppositional because I think of the opposition as, as a divide and conquer. Yeah. So anyone who from within or with or outside of the community who comes to me with that, I'm always like, let's talk again when you're liberated. <laughs> right. Do you know what I mean? Right, yeah. Because right, it's right. just like, yeah. I'm not going to like sit here and try to like, like, do all you have to do this on your own. Yeah. yeah. And like, once you realize that there is, uh, are unlimited seats at the table because mm-hmm. there, the table doesn't exist. Yeah. And we can all make our own chairs. <laughs> yeah. And who Done. wants to just sit, sit at the table anyway? All, all the time. Get up and anyway. dance. Right, like, what are we exactly. doing? Thank you. Right. Let's move around. <laughs> Let's shake a little bit. Tong, tong, tong. Let's beat the table. Like, yeah, <laughs> totally. Right. God. And just like live life and stop like all these things. So that's where I'm at. That's awesome. Now it's time for the fun part. Woohoo. Okay. So for those of you in the audience that are listening, this is the deep-rooted questions, the heavy questions. These are the heavy questions. These are, so there's rules for how we do this part. Mm-hmm. You have like 30 seconds, 10 seconds to answer each question? 30 seconds. Oh, okay. Why do you always <laughs> cut it down to where they, you have a second? Because it's got to be like your first initial. Rapid it fire. Is. Rapid it's fire. A, these Lightning are, these round. Are, so the way this works is here are the rules. You will be given a sequence of questions. You will have to make a quick decision. A give lot- us that decision. Yeah, a lot of them are either or kind of questions, yes. which may be tricky, but got it. Yeah. The answer is Mariah Carey. For everything. That's it. Yes. <laughs> that's all. <laughs> that's a wrap, that's, y'all. That's <laughs> it. That was it. That's the episode. Everybody have a good evening. Um, okay. Are you ready? Okay. Everybody take a deep breath. Okay, go for it. Hardest one of all, Panamanian friend. Tostones or maduros? Patacones. What it what is that? <laughs> I love it. I love it. For those who don't know, we're talking about plantains, platanos. Tostones are fried fried and sweet. Maduros are fried. No, tostones are fried and salty. Mm -hmm. Maduros are fried and sweet. Yes. What what are patacones? Patacones are what are referred to by some people from the Dominican Republic as tostones. Oh, okay. Yes. See, language. Again, I didn't know that. All right. I learned a new word. I cannot choose tostones or... Maduro. Maduros, because I never call them that. <laughs> okay. You know, like I've learned the lingo because I gotcha. love lingo and I live yeah. in New York. Right. And everyone thinks I'm Dominican because. You can see that. They're, You're beautiful. Well, and my people are beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Panamanians are beautiful was, too. Right. Like, Thank you. I don't know Thank if that you. was shade or not. Yeah. No. We have a Miss Universe, I'll have you know. Oh, yes. Yes, nice. that's right. So. Okay. Yeah. Patacones. Okay. Okay. I'll take it. Not that you engage with this often, but root beer or Dr. Pepper? Oh, my goodness. I thought you were going to ask me something way different. <laughs> 20 seconds. Dr. Pepper. Okay. Favorite? It's from Texas. Is it? Oh, I didn't know that. Favorite city in Panama? La Ciudad de Panama. I mean, where I'm from. Okay. I'm from out, slightly outside of the city, but yes, that's the city, I would say. Yeah. Meatloaf or meatballs? Oh my gosh. Uh, meatballs, unless I or my grandmother, who's since passed, is making it. Hmm. Because people be serving some dry meat. <laughs> oh. This conversation is cool. Dry 
It's true. It's true. Yeah. Farthest place you've traveled to for your art? Hmm. Oh my gosh. This is a really good question. Kenya? Ooh. Nice. Yeah. I did the summer literary seminar program, which I don't think has run for a, a few years. I did that in Kenya and I got to work with Toy Derricott. Nice. And I think this was before I went to Kabi Kana. I got to work with Toy and Binyavanga, uh, Wainana, who is an um, mm. East African fiction writer who actually recently passed away a few years ago. And it was really fun. And I wrote so many poems. I wrote poems every day. Mm. It's just a beautiful feeling. I would wake <laughs> up because I had jet lag. I'd wake up at 6 a.m., in this hotel that overlooked the beach in Lamu, which is this island off the east coast of Kenya into the Indian Ocean. And I would write poems. And the, the smell of the air was so different. Mm. It was sweet and it was damp because of the humidity. And it was hot. It was so hot. And I felt so rejuvenated like it was every day I would just like sweat everything out <laughs> and like nothing except for my core was left <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah and so it was a, it was a, a great trip a wonderful I was so inspired and I'm happy that I did it so yeah movie scene that still sticks with you I have something controversial to say. Go for it. Go. <sighs> you don't watch movies. The song Paciencia y Fe oh. from okay. In the Heights has always made me cry. Always, oh. always, always, always. Yeah. I don't think it's controversial. I think it's, okay. it's I think he can sometimes be he is. a little yes. he, or yes. I would say supporting him can right. sometimes be controversial. Right. Especially from with a song from a project that then also in its film adaptation had a lot of problems with right. colorism and so I concur I'm trying to like you know yes context but I I think he's a great songwriter and Paciencia y Fe when I saw when I saw In the Heights on mm. Broadway I for the first time, really believed that I could actually write a play that could get to Broadway one day. Oh. I never believed it before. Yeah, I always thought that I could write a movie. Hmm. I could, thought I could write a novel. <laughs> I could write a book of poetry. I mean, I had dreams. Yeah, you, you know good. what I mean. You like should. I can do things, but I was like Broadway. Hmm. These people. <laughs> yeah, I just I don't know. It just never occurred to me that it was yeah. like realistic. Yeah. It just didn't f seem yeah. realistic. And then to see that story up there and to see those characters and I was just like, oh, this is really possible. Hmm. And that song is about Abuela Claudia and having to come to the United States because of her mother's dreams yeah and her mother dying and her having this whole long life in the u.s and never really feeling like it was a place that she was from but also knew that she couldn't go back to a cuba that she had left as a child and 
I really related to that in a way because of my family's long history of going back and forth between the United States and Panama and the U.S. presence in Panama and declaring the canal zone, which is where I grew up, a U.S. territory. And anyone born there was a U.S. citizen. Mm. And the idea of there being a sovereign colony of sorts inside of... Uh, or. The idea of the United Nations said there cannot exist a colony within a sovereign nation. And that was a moment when the tide started to turn against the U.S. government's presence in Panama on a global stage, which was in the 70s, I believe. And so there's always been this. And then as part of a population that was primarily from the Caribbean and brought to Panama to labor on a canal that was always a foreign project. Mm -hmm. And then black laborers in Panama not being granted citizenship by Panama or the United States because they were just there to get a job done and die Mm -hmm. or leave. And so my relationship to national status has historically been complicated by people's racism. Yeah. And that song makes me think so much about what the reality was that my parents were facing with Noriega when they wanted to bring the family to the United States and wanted us to get U.S. citizenship, but how my dad had always wanted to go back and how I thought I had always wanted to come here and then I realized that it was mostly my mother motivating us to come here and then I came here and I was like, why am I here? (laughs) Yeah. And so that song is in conversation with so many of those questions. Yeah. And I really, really, really tried to write something that got into this book that was inspired by that song because I... Play, I would play that song every day. I would cry. I would just, <laughs> that song is so much of my life when, yeah. when I saw it on stage. And it was, I think it was too overwhelming. Yeah. And, I, and I also was like, I'm going to write my own thing. <laughs> <laughs> keep his song. Keep I'm going to write my own song, poem. song, LMM. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you got any more? Uh, no? Yeah, when do you go for it? Um, Hulu or Netflix? <laughs> Uh, how can I get out of this one? Um, <laughs> I would say Netflix original content. Oh, good. Yes. It's a good out. Favorite place to write? Well, I would say on a train or a plane, but the last three or four times that I've been on either, I haven't had enough space to do it because the seats keep getting smaller. <laughs> Correct. And people be traveling. So I just, I need space. So how about a spacious train <laughs> and a spacious plane? Those are my favorite places to um, Loose leaf notebook or a composition notebook? Is a loose leaf notebook a notebook? If the pages are loose? You mean the, the do you spiral. tear them out? Oh, the you spiral. tear them out from the spiral. Spiral or? Spiral or a composition. Composition. Do you use a spiral notebook? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> but I know some people that like do because they want to rip them out. I do you like, use a spiral notebook? 
I feel like when I was a 13 year old girl, uh-huh. <laughs> like right. now as an yeah. adult woman, I use moleskin or journals. I feel like the last spiral notebook I saw had a Lisa Frank design yes. on it, the cover. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, yes. Um, oh, summer or spring? I would say spring in Michigan, summer anywhere in the world, and fall in New York. Hmm. I think I know this one, but beach or mountains? Beach. <laughs> there was no hesitation. <laughs> no hesitation. <laughs> uh, what else you got? Oh. Well, I think I might know the answer to this, but soup or stew? Ooh. Mm. This is actually a hard one. I would say stew and then soup. Is that what you thought I was going to say? That that makes sense, though. Mm. And then lastly, I will ask, favorite Panamanian dish? Oh. So, uh, you know, it's a black Panamanian specialty is oxtail. Ooh. I know rabo is all over the world, but that's like a, in, in Panama, that's like a thing that the black community is known for. And both of my parents make incredible oxtail. Like, incredible. Like, I'm constantly trying to replicate it. <laughs> And the only time that I've come even remotely close is when I actually use their exact, exact ingredient, like the salt that they touched <laughs> or something. Like that's the only they time. Have to bless the salt. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I like go to the, the grocery sweat store, from their own body buy the look. same exact ingredients, and it does not taste the they same. Know oh. No, but I have to their use their, spirit, their actual their, like- in their kitchen. <laughs> With their ingredients, I can actually. But come wait, close. though, have they have they tasted it and said something like, "Oh, it's well, not good." Facto, it's not blah quite. blah blah. No, it's have they tasted it? Yeah, they've tasted mine, and they say it's a good, different way to make. The underhanded compliment, like <laughs> little like. Nice director. Yeah. Okay, so but I will also say that my my mother and my mother's side of the family they're not precious about recipes Mm -hmm. like they're all about cooking is an art yeah and so my mother will like if the spirit tells her to do this to the oxtail today then that's what she's going to do and so then when i'm like write down a recipe for me please that's not gonna happen my mom is like no a recipe for what yeah (laughs) for what the spirit tells me to do right (laughs) yeah She just she just yeah, cooks what she feels cook, like yeah, cooking. Yeah. And if she doesn't feel like cooking it that way, then she'll change how she's cooking it that day. Yeah. And so you just have to, which I think might be why the kitchen matters, because you have to be in, in La Onda mm-hmm. to, to really things. catch yeah. the vibe and then bring that. Because mm-hmm. you can't say like, ¿Cuánto tú le pones this? No, my mom's laughed at me the three times I've asked her how to make something <laughs> and like for like specific measurements. She's uh-huh. like, un chin de eso, le pone un puño de eso, un chin de aquello. I'm like, what is un what? chin? Like a tablespoon? Right. Like what is... What is, is this it? two chins or half a chin? <laughs> like, what are we doing? Is it chin? <laughs> like, hmm? I don't know what this means. My mom would do the same thing. Yeah. I'd be like, mom... Yeah, my, I asked my mom when I was writing Josefina's abichuelas for the recipe for abichuelas con dulce, and she literally just sent me like a Goya link from a website. She's like, she's like, this is kind of what I do. So here, yes, like, you know, really, um, I wrote the po- the poem bread pudding grandmama I, yeah, because yeah. Yeah. my grandmother taught me how to make bread pudding because I love my grandmother's bread pudding, and then after she taught me, I asked her for the recipe. I asked her if she could mm-hmm. write it down, and she said. 
Why write it down if I just taught you? If you want it written down, then you go write it yourself. And I ran upstairs. She was tired. She was like, I'm done. And I'm done. Um, and so I ran upstairs and I started writing this this recipe before I forgot, forgot it. it. Yeah. And the poem came out. I love it. Yes. So lickety split like that. And so I just forever... That's what I mean by like blackness is present in the mm-hmm. yeah. book despite that. Yeah. Like even when it's not the subject. And of course there are non-black communities that also like cook on instinct. Yeah. But the life of my family members is alive in this collection, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So I love that. And so speaking of worlds, can can we find you and your work? What's next? Yeah, so you can find my book, Migrant Psalms, uh, which is my chapbook and my full-length collection, my debut, Stepmotherland, online and anywhere that books are sold. And you can also look for me on my website, www.darylholness.com, D-A-R-R-E-L-H-O-L-N as in Nancy, E-S as in Sam. And you can find me on Instagram at Black Boy Travel Joy, where I am all things travel, I'm all things joy, and we keep it black. Ladies and gentlemen, that was the episode. Thank you. Thank you. Snaps for the poet. Goodbye, listener. <laughs> Bye, y'all. Oh, fun times. Thank you for listening to Ink Well, a collaboration between Tentero Projects and Imprint, based in Houston, Texas. Ink Well is hosted by Jasmine and Lupe Mendez of Tentero Projects, produced by Krupa Parikh and Rich Levy of Imprint, and recorded, engineered, and edited by Three Wire Creative. Ink Well is made possible by Houston Endowment, the Jerry C. Deering Family Foundation, the City of Houston through the Houston Arts Alliance, the Texas Commission on the Arts, and Imprint's other generous supporters. For more information on Inkwell, visit imprinthouston.org. To offer feedback on this and future episodes, email info at imprinthouston.org. We also invite listeners near and far to attend our readings and workshops in person and online. Until next time, keep reading and keep writing.